This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to elders, past and present, and acknowledge their ongoing connection to land, waters and culture. Colonisation and genocide are ongoing processes that continue to this day. Sovereignty was never ceded, this always was, and always will be, Aboriginal land. Hello listeners and welcome back to the Ospol Snack Party Radio Show, brought to you by today's sponsor, Banana Jim, full of vim, bananas, healthful, and now cheaper. That's right. Welcome back to Ospol Snackpot, everybody, the podcast that brings you bite-sized chunks of Australian politics and news with a side of crispy bananas. My name is Noon, and with me, as always, is my 1930s co-host, Zach Lesnack. Hey, Noon. Thanks for having me back on the show. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, no worries. Uh, it's nice to have you back after after a week off, though, obviously, I had a, a lovely time with Joe on the podcast. Yeah, last week's episode was great. It was a pleasure to edit. Thank you so much again to Joe for coming on the show. If you Shout didn't outs. catch that one last week, definitely go and check it out and check out Joe's show, Chronically Fully Sick, which is just so much better than this one. Stop listening to this right now. <laughs> Turn got- it off. Delete every app off your phone. Reconsider <laughs> your life decisions. Throw your wireless out the window. Or counter-proposal. Okay. Sign- to our Patreon for $1 Ooh. a month and you get a monthly bonus episode, you get access to our Discord, and we will feel better about the show that we make. Uh, and in particular, <laughs> shout-outs to Simon and Rowena for pledging your hard-earned dollar dues. Thank you very much. We really appreciate you so much. Now, Noon. Let's get some news. Can I interest you, can I interest you in, a, in a healthful, affordable banana? Mmm. <laughs> Are you feeling full of vim? Uh, I will be after this aperitif. Okay. Can I offer you one of these, sir? No, no. Take it away at once. So, first up, we've got a sort of somber story, which is that a federal labor senator for Victoria, Kimberly Kitching, died last week of a heart attack. Um, and I didn't think Zach or I have a huge amount to say about that, because, you know, heart attacks are sad and sort of fairly random and not really political. Um, but Here's just crumple from... up my page of heart attack jokes. I guess I won't be needing those. It away. Yeah. Here's a quote from Laura Tingle in the ABC. Within 24 hours of her death, the charge was effectively being made that the Labour Party had killed her, that stress over her unsettled pre-selection had at the very least contributed to her heart attack. Um, which I think is a pretty good way of describing what the media storm has been like in the wake of her death. Um, it's what she would have wanted. <laughs> Maybe. Um, one of the thi- yeah, one of the things that has sort of come up again, I guess, is allegations of bullying. Um, Kitching and her staff talked to each other about the quote "mean girls" who were three Labour senators who were nasty to her: Penny Wong, Katie Gallagher, and Christina K. Keneally. As in, she. I feel weird saying allegedly when this person is dead, but like, whatever. She, you know. That's what her staff member, I think, said to the press, was that they mm. were like, yeah, we called them mean girls because they were horrible. And Labour has tried to ignore this both like before now and since she died with Albo doing a like statement that said it was basically it was disrespectful to 
Kitching and her family to call Wong and the others mean girls. Um, Which is not a convincingly, like, non-political response. No. Albo, is it? Um, Emma Hussar, who is another former Labour MP who was forced out of the party with a situation involving sexist bullyings as well as seemingly being a bit shit herself, but that's a complicated story that's sort of not specifically relevant. Um, and she said that she'd also developed a heart condition as a result of being bullied by the Labour Party. Um, but specifically, she called Albo, quote, a gaslighting narcissist for saying this thing about it being disrespectful to Kitching um, when she was the one who had used the phrase mean girls to describe yeah. the other people being disrespectful to her. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, this line from Albo didn't really stick. And most recently, these three senators released a statement basically being like, eh, it's total bullshit, except one time Penny Wong at one stage made a nasty comment and apologized for it, and that apology was accepted, so it's fine. Um, mm. So overall, I would say a very respectful couple of days since the passing of Kimberly Kitching. Yeah, um, more upstanding behavior from the members of our political <laughs> class. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. really outdoing themselves once again. You know, the the journalists, the politicians, they're all good. They're all doing yeah. a great job. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the other aperitif that I wanted to mention was one-off payments uh, that the government has announced are going to be announced in the upcoming budget. Budget's coming on the 29th. I imagine we will talk about then, uh, that at the time. But um, this is to cover the rising cost of living, uh, which, of course, one-off payments sort of can't do almost definitionally because cost no, no, of living yeah cost of living it just goes up once one time for one day and then and goes you only back have down to again. pay it on one occasion that's yeah, the thing exactly. about it yeah not a recurring you only live once as <laughs> the economic uh principle goes yeah um <laughs> one life one payment yep uh wasn't there a movie about someone playing poker about that whatever um the, the <laughs> so yeah war in ukraine Things are expensive, especially petrol, which then makes other things expensive. Um, as well as this one-off payment thing, there's been discussion about cutting the fuel excise, which is a flat tax on petrol at about 44 cents a litre. And other people have been like, don't do that, because there was a reason for putting that policy in place. Um, I suspect they will announce a pause on it, so it'll like stop or be reduced or something for a year, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, basically, the government doesn't want to do anything that will actually support people. They just want to buy votes and a one-off payment in the four weeks before an election seems like a good but also the fairly perfect transparent... Way to do that. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. The best way to do nothing whilst appearing to do the bare minimum. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, there you go. There's our aperitifs for today. Thanks for that, Noon. Uh, we'll move on now to our First Nations story for this week, and I'll give a warning here that we're going to be speaking about and using the name of an Indigenous man who was killed by police. We'll put time codes in the show notes if you want to skip over this section. So, uh, in the latest update to a story that we have discussed a few times on the show, uh, Northern Territory Police Constable Zachary Rolfe has been found not guilty on all charges for shooting and killing a 19-year-old Walpree man, Kumanjai Walker, in the remote community of Yuendamu. So, Rolf has been found not guilty um, of three charges, um, 
murder, manslaughter, and engaging in a violent act causing death. Um, I don't want to go into a huge amount of details when it comes to the, the, the kind of physical specifics mm-hmm, of the case, mm-hmm. I guess, because I, I don't really think that that is, I don't know, the, the kind of key issue here. But I, I do think it's, it's also something that we have talked about and talked yeah, about a lot elsewhere as well. But That's right. And, it, you know, to give a bit of context for what we're talking about, but if people are not across the, uh, you know, the way that Kumanjai that Kumanjaya was killed. Uh, Constable Zachary Rolf entered the house where Kumanjaya was. Uh, with Rolf entered with his partner. Uh, Kumanjaya produced a pair of scissors, which he stabbed Rolf in the shoulder with. Rolf shot Kumanjaya, um, who was then restrained on the ground by Rolf's partner. Then Rolf walked up to Kumanjaya, who was underneath the other police officer, put his pistol up against Kumanjaya's flank, and shot him twice more. And the uh, yeah the 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 murder trial essentially turned on those second two shots mm-hmm. uh, and whether or not those were you know necessary in the situation they've released the body cam footage as we've mentioned i'm not sure that i'd recommend watching mm. it but um it did give me a much you know clearer perspective on what we were actually talking about mm. here and yeah i mean it seems pretty obvious to me that no one that the cops in the room were in no immediate danger kumanjai had been shot and fallen down so um, so in terms of the reaction from his family and the community, predictably, there's a huge amount of rage, um, mm-hmm. grief, and uh, they feel like uh, justice has not been done here. I'm going to play a clip from Gumanjai's cousin, Samara Fernandez-Brown, who has been acting kind of as a spokesperson for the family. This process has been so new to all of us, and we've had suppression orders in place to stop us saying what we want to, to stop our truth. We have been respectful of that, and still we've been let down. Throughout this trial, Gumja has been depicted solely as a dangerous individual, who in the words of Edwison, was the author of his own misfortune. Would you call misfortune death? Because I wouldn't. He has been criticised and picked apart by people who didn't know him. They saw only his flaws and wished to put him at trial for his own death. That's disgusting. And that's the system we live in. Mm. Yeah. Pretty powerful words from Samara Fernandez-Brown and... um, yeah, that idea that Kumanjaya, along with you know countless other Indigenous people who have been killed by police, end up being the ones being put on trial, mm-hmm. is rings very true. And it's not just the way that the court case was conducted, but also the media coverage. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Australian this week published a headline: "The unwanted baby who became a violent abuser." What the, the fuck? Scenario, which is just yeah. I mean the the again. Ugh. Samara Fernandez-Brown says, this is the system that we live in, you know, it's these enormous machines are kind of mobilized to demonize this young man who is dead, who was not there to defend himself. And she mentions the suppression order, which I'll talk about in a little bit, but it doesn't cut both ways. Things were suppressed that were about 
Zachary Rolfe's character, his previous behavior, whereas mm -hmm. Gumanjay Walker's character and life is open slather to yeah. the press. Yeah. The other major point that was hit on by um, advocates from the community in Yundamu is the idea of getting guns out of remote communities. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's a really, you know, it's a very clear, uh, achievable policy suggestion that is being made by this community, which I think is obviously one that we can stand behind and support. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of the other things that's been discussed in the aftermath of this verdict is that the jury had no First Nations people on it. Right. You know, obviously. I mean, the, the, the reporting says Zachary Rolfe was acquitted by a jury of his peers. Mm. I think that's probably true mm. uh, in, in, you know, in quite a literal sense. Uh, and I was reading a little bit about the ways that First Nations people are excluded from jury selection in the Northern right. Territory. And it seems like there's a huge amount of reform that needs to happen there. It's going to become any more uh, accessible. You know, obviously names are pulled from the electoral roll. And there right, are thousands, right. you know, tens of thousands of Indigenous people who are not uh, listed on electoral that, rolls. Yeah. Um, jury, uh, jury members are selected only from urban districts, so people from remote communities are automatically right. excluded. Right. There are requirements around language, which uh, can and should be relaxed. And one of the other big ones is excluding people who have been previously incarcerated from juries, right. which obviously right. massively disproportionately is going to affect over-incarcerated communities like mm -hmm. First Nations people. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's also, you know, jury, ref jury reform and, and judicial reform in general is kind of a limited tool. For sure, yeah. Trying to achieve justice, and I can imagine, you know, I mean, imagine being like the single First Nations juror on, right, on this jury, right. for example. You know, the amount of pressure and responsibility being placed on that single person, I think. I don't know. There's a lot more to be discussed about that, but mm -hmm. that's one, I think, quite interesting uh, area of discussion that's been opened up uh, in the wake of this. But yeah, I, I mentioned before the suppression order uh, that was placed around this case, which meant that there was a lot that the media was not allowed to report on when it came to Zachary Rolfe's uh, previous life career actions, however you want, want to describe mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. Now that the case is over, that suppression order has been lifted. The media has applied to be able to talk about stuff that was admitted uh, in court that, um, or that was discussed in court that was Wasn't basically- admitted it. Yes. As evidence, yeah. Exactly. So, and there's a, a number of things that have come out which paint, um, yes, uh, a, a pretty, I guess, unsurprising, but also damning yep. picture of yep. Zachary Rolfe. Um, so one previous incident that's been reported on a lot is a time when Zachary Rolfe, uh, in a separate incident, incident arrested an indigenous man in the course of that arrest, punched him in the face and smashed his head into the ground, knocking him unconscious. This man needed 20 stitches. And then it was alleged that Zachary Rolf got another cop to scratch his face to make it look like he'd Whoa. been attacked in the course of the arrest what the fuck? to then justify his use of force. And then on top of that, he lied when giving evidence about it in court. This is a quote from the judge okay. who heard that case. Constable Rolf's evidence is wrong and a pure fabrication. Wow. So this is a previous time when he'd well, used that, completely... I don't see why that would have anything to do with this case. Of course. Oh, this cop has previously uh, used extrajudicial violence and uh, lied in court. Yeah, Probably the... shouldn't mention that in this court case about uh, extrajudicial violence. 
of course. The, the judge's rationale from memory was that um, the defense could just point to times when Zachary Rolfe had arrested indigenous people and not used excessive violence and then lied about it. So uh-huh. do with that what you will. Okay. Another, of, uh, another thing that's come out that's being reported on widely are some text messages yeah. that Zachary Rolfe sent to what is being described as a friend in the army, which I'll come back to in a second. Okay. This is what those text messages said, or excerpts from them. Alice Springs sucks, haha. The only good, the good thing is it's like the Wild West and fuck all the rules in the job, really. But it's a shithole. Good to start here because of the volume of work, but will be good to leave. We have this small team in Alice, immediate response team. We're not full-time, just get called up from general duties for high-risk jobs. It's a sweet gig, just get to do cowboy stuff with no rules. Mm-hmm. This stuff was ruled, these texts were ruled out as evidence because they were from about six months ago, and the judge said that they couldn't be considered to be indicative of his state of mind. Uh, sorry, six months before the incident with Gumanjaya Walker. So, <laughs> the judge. Yeah, the judge wow. said they couldn't be, couldn't be, that weren't necessarily indicative of his state of mind. What the fuck? Um, which, you know, we know Ooh. this is a guy that walked around possibly with his gun unclipped, you know. <laughs> And also that directly ignored orders from the sergeant who sent him on the job that night. Yep. Um, In other words, cowboy stuff. With no rules. Yep. Now, this is something that hasn't been, like, I haven't seen a huge amount of reporting on, but this friend in the army who Zachary Rolf is texting, it's been suggested that it's Ben Robert Smith. I was going to say that before when you were like, I'm going to come back to it. I was like, is it Ben Roberts? Yeah. There's no way that he would fuck with a loser like Rolf. But I mean, obviously no, they're both losers, but I feel like well, Rolf considers is... himself a, a high tier loser. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think like racist murderers stick together. That That's makes sense. Pretty defamatory, but hey, fuck you guys. Rolf is ex-army. He was in the military for five right, years. Right, right, right. And Rolf's mother... In Ben Robert Smith's defamation trial, oh, described yeah. Ben Robert Smith as Zachary Rolfe's mentor, which, like, that from my wow. perspective is extraordinarily fucking damning. Yeah. Like, if that's the kind of guy you're looking up to, and then you happen to murder someone in the course of your work, what like, the fuck, dude? Yeah, some cabal shit. Yeah, there's also a couple of like. <laughs> more minor incidents that have been talked about um, with the lifting of the suppression order. One was that Rolf's father was accused of trying to intimidate a witness in the toilet at the courthouse. Yeah. Which is like a fucking weird instance. Yep. And another of the, another kind of weird thing that's come out uh, is that the Rotary Club of Darwin has been running this police officer of the year award for the last like three decades. Okay. They take their nominations from public submissions. And last year, Rolf was one of the three nominees that they uh-huh. put, put forward to uh, the Northern Territory Police, at which point the Northern Territory Police, like, severed their connection with the award and were like, we're not doing this anymore. Wow. Because, um, I mean, he was nominated while the murder, star, murder charge yeah, was still pending. Yeah, of course pending, it would obviously. be a shit show to happen that year if that was... Yeah. But... Yeah. Them pulling him 
is a curious i wonder if that means they thought he was gonna lose the trial or... well i mean there's been quite a bit of internal conflict between the cops and the police union in the northern territory about the way right. that they handle the case and uh they they're like definitely has been uh yeah i mean the, the police union seems to think that uh the the top brass basically treated rolf unfairly and threw him under the bus but yeah they've they've now uh, the Northern Territory Police have now ended that connection with that Cop of the Year award. But it just really, like, the fact that, you know, the Rotary Club said that they received hundreds of submissions basically nominating Zachary Roll yeah. for this Cop of the Year award, which has such echoes of, like, to me, of, like, George Zimmerman crowdfunding hundreds of thousands of dollars after he killed Trayvon Martin. It's like, in the States, you know, it's like this demonstration, I, I think, that the racism that we're talking about here is obviously systemic. It's obviously structural, but it needs racist individuals peppered throughout the community in order to perpetuate it and prop it up. And that's, you know, like a pretty naked demonstration of that. Mm. So to kind of try to wrap this all up a, a little bit, Rolf is now on, like, he's been suspended. Uh, while unspecified internal investigations are being done by Northern Territory Police. Okay. Um, which is, yeah, the, so great, clearly great. the story is not over yet. Uh, there is going to be a separate coronial inquest into Gumanjaya's death, uh, which is going to have obviously a different scope yep. to the murder investigation, to the murder case. Uh, and Gumanjaya's family definitely seem to be placing some hope in that process, but also on the flip side, so with the police union, who right. I think are hoping that it's going to indicate uh, their yeah, position. The, mm. Yeah, their attitude of um, you know, Rolf having been done dirty by by the cops themselves. But yeah, you know, it, it's it's difficult to, I guess, figure out what to take from all this. You know, like we're we're talking about this specific murder trial, and like I said, I, you know, it, it's like the physical specifics. I I don't like to get bogged down in in those details because at the end of the day, like this was a young black man who was killed by police. You know, like two shots, three shots. You know, Whatever. whether yeah. like what yeah. the circumstances were. It's like and like the fact that our racist court system found not guilty like says little about the events as well exactly and so then to bind the bullshit of like oh well prosecutor said this and defense is this and it's this shot and this shot. like it's like this is all very far down the line of buying into the systemic racism that killed him right and you know you you have to maintain you know a, a level of objectivity and a level of you know try to hold a little bit of faith in the system because the family was relying on that you know as uh samar said you know, in that quote earlier, it's like the family, like they abided by the mm -hmm. rules. They abided by the suppression order. They put their faith in this system because it was the only option made available to them in terms of the pursuit of justice. And of course they were let down. Um, so yeah, I guess at the end of the day, all, all that we can do is um, offer our solidarity with, with Umanjaya's family, with the people of Yundamu and with, all indigenous people who every day have to fight for their lives under this racist colonial system. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for telling us about that very sad story, Zach. Um, yeah. 
All right, why don't we move on to our next segment? Elections generally not that funny. There's too much politics going on at the moment. Don't blame me. I voted for Kodos. Go! Melanowskis. It's Melanowskis. Okay, okay. All right, so South Australians are voting as we speak, Zach. Uh, and listeners' results should be in by the time you're listening to this. And also, as we have tried to repeatedly demonstrate over the last couple of months, we know nothing about SA poll. <laughs> So between all of that, we figured it's probably not worth going into a huge amount of detail about the predictions and so on. But also, we uh, want to pay attention to states other than Victoria. So, little election section for you down there in, in SA. All right, here we go. All right, so the Liberals won the last election with 25 seats out of 47. But then over the last few years, they lost three seats and their parliamentary majority because uh, people were kicked out of the party and blah, blah, blah. We talked mm-hmm. about some of those stories recently. Mm-hmm. Um, they maintained confidence on supply, so they were still the government. They just were in minority. So uh, polling has consistently been showing the Labour Party with a small but winning margin. Um, and here's something from Seamus, our SA correspondent, who had a po- uh, thread about this in Ospol shit posting, which is the... Group that we are the official podcast of. <laughs> I'm sure everyone already knows who, who's got up to this point. Whatever. Um, so Seamus said this. I think Labour are going to end up with a one to two seat majority. Statewide poll has them picking up four to six, but Libs won last time on a door knocking seat by seat campaign. They haven't rolled that out anywhere near as effectively, but they might have managed enough sandbagging to save it. So there you go. Um, there's some tricky stuff with like seat reallocations that are now nominally... Labour, even though they're held by a liberal, like the the, the boundaries of the seats right. have shifted. So they're oh, like, sure. well, if the exact same vote happened last time, Labour would now be in charge. Uh-huh. Um, and there's another one that's really, really close. Um, some of the key issues that uh, people are voting on are massive COVID case spikes in the last couple of weeks, mm. uh, highest unemployment of any state in Australia, and ambulances. Um, ambulance wait times have exploded by nearly 500% while the Liberals have been in power. Wow. Um, just this week, two people died in one night because ambulances didn't come in time. Jesus Christ. Um, the Labour Party and the unions have been running attacks on the Liberal government about it, and it sounds like they have had a reasonable amount of cut through. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Bludger had a really good overview about the um, whole situation. Um, and I'll put a link into the show notes in case people care about predictions by the time they see the results. But uh, <laughs> anyway, here's a few key points. So, Labour needs to win five extra seats to gain a majority and likely has one in the bag after the redistribution. The shortest path to victory for Labour would involve a uniform swing of 2%, which would net the metropolitan seats of Newland, Adelaide, King and Elder. Beyond that lies a big gap in the electoral pendulum out to the Liberals' next most marginal seat of Colton where the required swing is 6.2%. Each of the four ex-Liberal members will be seeking re-election as independents, meaning the Liberals have to either unseat at least two of them or win as many from Labour to recover their majority. So from that, it sounds like it's likely to be a Labour minority government, or if they get lucky, they could Mm -hmm. have a small majority. So there you go. That's pretty much it. But there was one other story that I wasn't able to substantiate, but I've seen repeated in a couple of places, and it seems like the kind of thing our listeners should know about. So (laughs) here's from a comment in the Paul Bludger article, uh, which was the the clearest expression of it, despite it also being mentioned in an ABC article. 
A man had to be pulled away from Peter Melanowskis after dropping his pants and shouting, Peter is number one at a polling booth in Woodville Gardens this morning. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> is there some kind of uh, physical indication of number one? <laughs> like, yeah, he'd written a one on his butt or <laughs> his, his wang number one. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it was unclear how visible his, his, okay, his right. various bits were. Just but... checking. So anyway. we'll be keeping abreast of that story as it develops, I imagine. Uh, leg of the situation. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right. That's it for your essay poll uh, for this four years. Yeah. Well, look, you know, for what it's worth, hey, I hope you don't have a liberal government anymore, South yeah, Australians. Sounds like that might happen, which, you know, shout outs if so. Yeah, you know, we're not going to say that it's a bad thing Yeah. for the liberals to lose. Amen. <laughs> okay. Positivity Corner. So yeah, we did, I did a little bit of scraping and scrounging to find a positivity corner. Yeah, it was uh, hard for this week, and really, it's that way most weeks. Um, but uh, this story did bring a bit of a smile to my face mm-hmm. when it came across my, you know, my desk, the news desk here at Ospol Snackpot HQ. Yep. Um, which the is corp buildings. Yeah, uh, on uh, the penthouse where Noon and I reside. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get all the news piped fresh into Helicopters our ears. Drop it off on the top yeah. floor. And... Exactly. And I, I popped open this tube of news and out, out came the headline, Crimes at the Crime Factory, which is... Oh my gosh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, shocking revelations. Breaking business. Big... <laughs> big building that says big crimes on the front has been found to be doing massive crimes. So remember how it was revealed over the last couple of years that crown casinos were doing just like absolutely fucking mind bending amounts of illegal shit. Oh, S- like a casino would. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, those organizations famous for doing mad crimes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. Especially money laundering is the big crime that they love uh, doing. Uh, so yeah, and uh, Crown was like deemed unfit to hold a casino license in New South Wales. Their like whole board got fired. James yeah. Packer was removed, um, and you know this like all stopped them being able to open this massive new casino that they'd already built yeah. in Sydney. And hilarious. you know, yeah, exactly. It was a hilarious episode. Well, while all that was happening, Australia's <laughs> other biggest casino uh-huh. operator, Star Entertainment, who run big fat casinos in Sydney, Brisbane, and the Gold Coast. You know, Star City. Yeah, uh, is the one that I know from growing up. Uh, well, Star Entertainment were watching that, and while they were watching that, they were saying to themselves, "Lol, Lamau, sucked in. <laughs> Couldn't be me, fam." Except, I'm sure uh, they would never do a crime. No, uh, except See, it the turns out that yes, they're rich <laughs> enough that they don't need to do crimes. Precisely, I think that's how it works. Yeah, they've made enough money from all the crime. Yeah, that they don't need no to do any more crimes. Right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, so yes, no, it did. It turns out that it could be them, fam, and in fact, uh, it is them, fam. So uh-huh. Star Entertainment uh-huh. has been the subject of a, of a review. Oh no, no, for a few months now. <laughs> a criminal's worst fear. <laughs> <laughs> a review, and now public hearings <gasps> as part of that review have begun. They're being led by Barrister Adam Bell, who was counsel assisting in the Bergen inquiry, which was the one that piked Crown's yep. Sydney yep. casino plans. Here's a, a quote from an article in the Sydney Morning Herald by investigative reporter Nick McKim. 
There has only been a single day of hearings of the weeks-long Royal Commission-style inquiry into Star. <laughs> it's a good but, start. <laughs> but even at this stage, it's fair to begin asking if Star will be able to retain its casino license without undergoing the same sort of executive and board upheaval as Crown. Mm-hmm. So what came out on the first day, day one, these hearings, was that Star was disguising gambling funds that had been smuggled out of China as quote-unquote hotel expenses because uh-huh. you know china has very strict anti-gambling laws yeah um but australian casinos don't want to let that get in the way of chinese like millionaires and criminals spending a shitload of their money in their casinos so you know money laundering 101 type stuff very yeah yeah day crime one shit money here. you cross out the word crime so it just says money <laughs> exactly <laughs> you want to spend all your money on illegal gambling don't even sweat it we'll tell everyone that you're ordering lots of fucking room service you know yep. Um, so yeah, Crown was found to have been running the basically exact same scam during their inquiry to the tune of about $160 million. Okay. Star has done it with at least $900 million. Nice. Yeah. (laughs) Crown really needs to step up their crime game. It's going to be hard, but their new casino shut down. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they're falling. They're really falling behind in the crime stakes. Because can I also just remind everybody that these two companies like proposed a merger last year? Yeah, <laughs> it was before Crown got you know <laughs> done like a fucking dinner uh, at the Bergen inquiry. But before that, Star was like, you know, you do crimes, Maybe we you do and crimes. I, we could we uh, should get together, do some like big fat crimes, <laughs> um, triple quadruple yeah. crimes. It was also revealed in uh, a Fairfax investigation into Star Entertainment uh, that I think came out uh, towards the end of last year that their top executives did know that shitloads of money laundering is happening and surprisingly did absolutely nothing about it. I'm very surprised. Yeah, because they love getting crime money. So, yeah, you know, uh, Positivity (laughs) Corner, fuck these horrible companies who deal in human misery and suffering. Yep. I can't wait to see their operations get even more fucked up on day two of the multiple week inquiry. <laughs> Exciting. Yeah. Looking forward to hearing more about that. <laughs> who doesn't love some good crimes? A- as a gambler who can't <laughs> afford to gamble at a casino, strongly support this situation. <laughs> yeah, we need to move everything online where it's bitcoin <laughs> exactly you know chinese gambling corporations way I'm sure cleaner. no issues there way way cleaner anyway time to move on now what starts with the letter c cookie starts with c let's think of other things that starts with c uh, ah, who cares about other things yeah that sting keeps getting more and more true and accurate uh <laughs> And this week is no exception. Uh, that's right, it's our climate change segment, because no one cares about the other things that start with C. One of the people who don't care about it is Sussin, lazy Sussin Lee, uh, the federal environment minister. Um, Voluntarily adder of additional S's to her own name for luck. Yeah, lucky yeah. Sussin, that's what yeah. we should call it. And yeah. it does seem to be working out. It's true, yeah. So this week we got a decision by the federal court that Sussanly does not have to consider the health and safety of all Australian children when making decisions that affect the health and safety of all Australian children, and specifically about fossil fuel mining things. That's every Australian child. <laughs> yeah, way. yeah, yeah. So, so 
I think if there was a a child that lived very close to a coal mine, she might have to consider that child's health and safety. But children of Australia in general... Fuck them. Fuck them. Exactly, yeah. So um, we talked about this last year probably as a positivity corner lol. Yeah, Uh, Yeah. (laughs) It's like, I know we joke about the negativity corner all the time, but like... uh, but also, the pain is we real. keep getting fucking proven right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So a judge <sighs> found that she did have a duty of care um, after That's eight good. teenagers, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> brought a case uh, about the expansion of the Vickery Coal Mine, a project I know nothing about. Um, and so he was basically like, "Yeah, that checks out. You've got a duty of care over these guys." I don't know if this decision breached that so it's probably not an issue here but i think that you probably do have a duty of care that you like adequately fulfilled anyway that decision was overturned by the federal court this week um and that's bad pardon me. yeah the legal intricacies of the decision are fairly interesting and i must once again shout out seamus for helping me partially understand whatever the fuck courts are talking about mm. so here's from the garden guardian sorry Last year, Justice Mordecai Bromberg, I wonder if he's Jewish, found the minister had a duty of care to not act in a way that would cause future harm to younger people. But he did not grant the injunction as he was not satisfied the minister would breach her duty of care. The full bench of the federal court on Tuesday overturned that judgment, deciding that while Bromberg's findings were, quote, open to be made, the duty of care should not be imposed on the minister. Oh, yeah, open to be made, of course. What a helpful, clarifying <laughs> remark to make. Okay, so That's so why I love laws. They're all understandable by the people that they apply to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Bromberg was basically like, yeah, she has a duty of care over children, but expanding this coal mine doesn't breach that duty. Mm. And then the minister appealed to the federal court saying, Bromberg was wrong. I don't have duty of care. Ministers having duty of care is nonsense bullshit. And in response, they were like, no, 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 no. He wasn't wrong uh, because ministers could plausibly have duty of care, but he was also wrong because in this particular case, she doesn't. Okay, so that's like a very like threading the needle series of things where they don't say he was wrong but they also basically say what the opposite of what he said mm. is true um they all seem to clearly agree that the coal mine should go ahead though that seems fine yeah i mean yeah. they did make a few remarks about how like climate bad or whatever but yeah so um they had the three judges on the federal court had quite different reasons for it and i'm just going to read another quote from the guardian here Justice Alsop found that court processes were unsuitable to determine matters of high public policy, that imposing a duty of care would be inconsistent with national environment laws, and that the minister's level of liability in approving a project was indeterminate. So those are three different reasons, all of that which That last I'm... one is pretty fucking bullshit. Well, I think that's what it means about like what I was saying before about if there was a child living nearby who was like definitely going to get asthma as a result. She might have a because, like, oh yeah, then you wouldn't want her to fucking be direct. responsible for that. That'd yeah. be a nightmare. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, 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 no. no. He's saying she. I think she, he's saying. Well, also, I don't know what gender also is. Um, that there would be a liability in that quite direct situation, 
anyway, I'm not sure. Maybe maybe I'm misreading that, but who knows? Again, I don't know. I'm not a law talky guy. That's my reading. Okay. Um, the duty of care would be inconsistent with national environment laws. That sounds a lot like I want this coal mine to go ahead to me. But anyway, yeah. Mm, yep. Justin Johnson, Jonathan Beach found that a duty of care should not be imposed as there was, quote, not sufficient closeness and directness between the minister's decision and the risk of harm to young Australians and that her level of liability could not be determined. So, yeah, I think that's maybe the thing of like, well, you know, this thing, climate's going to get worse. Is this one going to be the one that tips over Australian children into dying in a hell climate hellfire? It's not a, it's quite like, you know, there's a 50 year lag between her approving this thing and the, who could say? Jesus Christ. How much more fucking direct can we make this like how much clearer right. how many more scientists need to tell you yep. that this is a real thing uh-huh yep like if 1000 other people stab a guy and you also stab that guy like i'm sorry but you like you are partially responsible for the murder i well, think what if you actually sort of have like a a knife at the end of a long pole that you kind of operate with a hands-free device. And you don't... Then <laughs> fucking in and the, you in sign the a document saying that someone should stab the guy with the pole. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. then I think legally you're totally fine. All right. And just as Michael Wheelahan found that national environment laws did not establish a relationship between a minister and the teenagers who brought the case, and that, quote, the control of carbon dioxide emissions and the protection of the public from personal injury caused by the effects of climate change were not responsibilities of the minister under the legislation, which might be true, but sounds like probably the legislation is bad. Mm, I think that you might be, be hitting on something yeah. pretty crucial yeah. here, then. Yeah, and, like, in general, that has been a lot of political drama bullshit. And I find that interesting, if extremely depressing, but um, I thought that maybe we could round up the story by listening to Anjali Sharma, who is one of the plaintiffs who brought the case against the minister, who was pretty aggressively interviewed by Lee Sales, who gets a big thumbs down for me on this point, uh, this one. But um, Anjali is like right at the forefront of this and doing an amazing job. Um, I think she's like 17 and doing the end of high school and leading a bunch of climate protests and a national court case against the environment i think it's very impressive um and you know much better than listening to me ramble is listen to her make a bunch of very concise and excellent points so here's anjali sharma anjali sharma what's your response to today's ruling um i can't lie i'm absolutely devastated and really really angry angry that we had to take the federal environment minister to court in the first place angry that she appealed the initial ruling angry that we lost um, I'm really scared about the precedent that it sets and the fact that it might open the floodgates to more and more fossil fuel projects and millions of tonnes of carbon emissions. But what I can say is that this won't stop us in the fight for climate justice and our lawyers will be reviewing the judgment and no matter whether we decide to appeal or not, we'll be back. You say you're worried that this will open the path to more coal production, but things are already going the opposite way in Australia. Australia's transitioning to renewables. Big companies are moving away from coal and gas. 
That's very true, but the fact is that we're not doing it fast enough. We're up against an international backdrop where countries such as the UK and the US have set 50% emissions reductions targets for um, 2030 and other ambitions, uh, ambitious emissions reductions targets that Australia simply has refused to match. We're um, competing with a really, really weak 26 to 28% emissions reductions target by 2030, and we're up against um, the climate crisis, which is rapidly accelerating and is demanding real change. But doesn't the government also have a duty of care to young people who could be affected by suddenly ending coal production? So, for example, young people who might face long-term unemployment in those regions and the associated mental health impacts of that. Um, young people who live around Gunnedah, the location of the project that's the subject of your court action. Yeah, I think unemployment is a completely different issue, actually, and I think the fact that Australia is one of the sunniest, windiest countries means that we have so much potential to invest in renewable energy, um, stuff that other countries like the UK and the US are doing very successfully. Um, I think the places in Gunnedah and in the Hunter Valley are actually some of the strongest communities fighting for climate action. I have um, contacts there who are very, very strongly opposed to what the government is planning there. Um, I think that while there are so many families and so many people who um, rely on fossil fuel projects for much of their income and much of their livelihood. The fact remains that the government has the opportunity to invest in a just transition, meaning that they can reskill workers and um, really prepare them for a life in the renewable energy industry, which needs to be invested in so much more heavily than the fossil fuel industry, which is the complete opposite to what we're seeing right now. And Jolie Sharma, you've definitely suggested turning off all power generation tomorrow and letting the country plunge into darkness and cold. Um, but don't you think that that might be bad? Um, it's like, just... These kids have been talking about just transition from the fucking get-go for right. years and years. The idea that they are still getting questions about well, what's going to happen to communities who are reliant on coal production for their financial well-being is fucking absurd. We are so far past this argument. And yet, I mean, what the fuck is Lee Sales doing? I, I mean, know. What, like, and Jenny was running fucking rings around her as well, by the for way. For real. Yeah, yeah. Three minutes of pure West Wing brain versus, like, staunch, compassionate rage. Um, yeah. Uh, Lee Sales got absolutely dunked on, and shout out to Anjali Sharma. I'm sorry about the, uh, you know, loss in court, but um, keep on doing it. And as she said, they're gonna keep going, so. Yeah, mad solidarity yeah. with those kids. I mean, look, obviously this, you know, this was never going to be, it's not an easy fight. You're up against an extremely uh, well-resourced... Literally the government. Yeah, literally the government and literally the government's mouthpieces who are happy to parrot right. bullshit talking points that have been debunked time and time again. But, yeah, I mean, as she says, that you know, they're, they're staying strong and going to keep fighting and, you know, we obviously need as many people to be doing as many... Yep. Following as many different avenues as possible to try and achieve change on this, so, mm -hmm. yeah. So much support for those kids. All right. All right. Next up, we have a potluck. Potluck, where you bring the snacks. So uh, C sent in this potluck this week. Uh, take it away, C. Hey, SnackPod. I just wanted to point out some possible ambiguity of language from the last uh, pod. Um, Noon and Joe were talking about the NDIS and uh, support for 
um, carers, but I think it would have been better to use support workers in most of the places where they used that term because uh, carers are defined under the Carer Recognition Act both federally and in most states now as unpaid family and friends who support disabled people. And it's really important to um, kind of use this different language and refer to support workers as support workers because uh, historically uh, support workers have not been recognised properly as a, a legitimate profession. Um, we see that in the low wages and terrible conditions. But also unpaid carers, family and friends, are not recognised properly. They don't get the support that they should. Um, the NDIS is supposed to provide some support for people's carers so that they can continue to do so if required. Uh, and it is really difficult for carers to get access to the support they need, things like respite, uh, things like the carer support payment. Um, this ambiguity of language creates all sorts of issues around access to training and supports uh, where support workers might think they're eligible because the term carer uh, hasn't been properly used um, or carers might not realise that they're eligible for something like vaccinations, which has been an issue throughout COVID. So we really need to be careful about that language and make sure we use uh, carer for unpaid family and friends and support worker for employed paid support workers. Um, hope that wasn't too pedantic. Thanks. Thank you, C. That was absolutely not too pedantic. Um, but uh, I heard this and I was like, oh, that's weird. Like, I definitely know the difference between support workers and carers, as C has just very clearly explained. And like, surely there must have been a quote I read or something that got it wrong. And I went back to my notes and, you know, control F carer. And sure enough, I had just blatantly written completely the wrong thing throughout my notes repeatedly. So my total apologies, uh, C, thank you very much for the very polite and clear and thoughtful correction. Uh, listeners, listen to what they say. It is an important difference. And um, uh, yeah, I'm sorry for uh, repeatedly making that mistake. So. Yeah, if you want to correct us, record a minute or so of yourself chatting. Send it into contact at ospulsnackpod.com and we'll play it on the show. Or, you know, if you've got some other shit you want to talk about, you don't have to be correcting yeah. us. No, you, can... you could be talking about memes you like or yeah. news. You could sing a little song. It's, you, yeah. You, do, you know, it's your potluck. Please send them in. We love getting them. Thank you very much, C. And now it's time to move on. Shit post of the week. Oh, boy. Yeah. We have some uncomfortable visuals today. <laughs> yeah. yeah, quite the little collage yep. we've assembled here. So uh, this first post, there's a series here. There's a trilogy, I would say. Um, and the first one is from Mitchell Henderson Miller, who's been doing some serious posting the last couple of weeks. So thank you, Mitchell. Uh, they said, I, they posted this in Ospol shit posting, which as I tangentially mentioned before we're the official podcast of so if you like memes you want to see memes you want to talk about shit posts and ospol go and, and join the group uh i and mitchell said this i turned off all my ad tracking on facebook this week and now i'm getting the weirdest sponsored posts and i think the weirdest sponsored post is a great description for this <laughs> um it's for a website anika sahar uh, sorry Anika's African Hair Breeding.com. Yes. Yeah. Uh, 
and the image is of leader of the Labour Party, Anthony Albanese, standing in front of a photo of a bowl of, like, Vaseline? Well, yeah, it's some Just, kind of, like, creamy... Off-white. Yeah. Shiny liquid, mm. yeah. Not something um, that I would relish putting in my mouth, looking at no. it. No, and the quote that's attributed to Anthony Albanese is, one teaspoon is enough and you will lose 44 pounds. <laughs> uh, and there's a couple of details on the meme as well. One is a picture of someone, like, holding some belly flab, like yeah, a, or like a, the, a it's, diagram. It's the classic, I'm trying to do up my jeans, but I can't. Right. Like, there's also picture, yeah. An Australian Government Department of Health logo <laughs> and a My Health Record logo. Uh, so for double official. Yeah, yeah, it's super official. Yeah. So um, that is what is being advertised by <laughs> Anika's African com and being spruced apparently by Anthony Albanese. So it's... why noon? <laughs> Why is somebody Why? using Anthony Albanese's image to promote a weight loss cream of some description? Uh, an edible weight loss cream? Well, he has had a glow up, as I saw a meme <laughs> refer to it. Um, you know, he's lost weight, he's been buying new suits, there's been a bunch of like puff piece articles about like, ooh, Albo, he bought a new suit. <laughs> like, literally, that's like, he's like... He's a dashing go get him guy, and he got a haircut and is on a diet. Um, uh, and Scott Morrison made a, a very, well, indirect but obviously pointed remark being like, oh, I still wear the same old suits and I'll eat Italian cake because Albo refused to eat a cannoli on video recently. <laughs> uh, Anyway, like... Oh, boy, the tenor of the political repartee in this country. It's enough to make me want to read more about court reports. Yeah. Mm. Um, but we have another, uh, another post riffing on this one. Zach, do you want to take us through the second one? Yeah, this is an edit from Morgan. Shouts to Morgan. He loves to do a little snack pod edit. It's true. Uh, for us. And uh, the My Health Record logo has been helpfully replaced with the Ospol <laughs> snack pod logo. Uh -huh. Uh, instead of the little person unable to do up their jeans, it's uh, somebody scooping big fingerfuls of Vaseline <laughs> right, out right. of a jar. And uh, Anthony Albanese is quoted as saying, one teaspoon is enough to let an election slip through your hands. It's <laughs> um, a good joke. Yeah. yeah. And, and then the alt text, it's now Anika's off-brand Vaseline.com.au. <laughs> and instead of the thing in, I want to say Spanish that it said before, it said, if you're reading this, please update your ad blocker, um, which is, you know, good advice. It's a solid edit. Thank you, Morgan. Um, in, the, in the comments of Mitchell's post, someone said, mods are asleep. Post smooth elbow. Um, and... Boy, did somebody post Smooth Elbow. Mitchell, he followed up with Smooth Elbow, um, which was so good it, it became its own post um, with the text, unbothered, moisturized, happy, in my lane, two-party preferred. Which I always, <laughs> all of these unbothered, moisturized ones, I always read them in the tone of um, fitter, happier, more productive, <laughs> in my lane, 
Two party preferred. Now with more Vaseline. Um, and smooth elbow. Anyway, can can you describe this monstrous image? Zach? Oh god. I mean, it. He kind of look. It sort of looks like uh, a a slightly melted wax elbow. Mm. He's got no skin imperfections to speak of and is very very shiny yeah it's deeply yeah. horrifying or it's like a skin colored latex mask of albo's face <laughs> yeah 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 anyway i reckon this will be the one that we put as the cover image, oh the cover so, image, so you'll see yeah. it yeah 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 uh disturbing posting everybody. distressing stuff yeah <laughs> thank you or not uh mitchell for your excellent posts <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think i can i can echo that sentiment no <laughs> now it's time for you fucked up Surely there'll be some much better posting in this segment, Zach. There's definitely more posting. Um, so yeah, okay. <laughs> this week, a logo popped up on social media. Just... Yep, just popped straight up there. It's a logo for something called the Women's Network, which it turns out is run out of the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet. Mm-hmm. The logo says, Women's Network, and above it is a big, fat, purple dick and balls. Which is pretty funny. I think most people understand that a little picture of a dick. It's pretty. It's a pretty funny thing. It's why people draw them everywhere. Yeah. Know? Just yeah. to give to give you and I a laugh in our day. Yeah. Um, which uh, <laughs> I don't think was the intention of this one, but sort of served the same function. Well, <laughs> so yeah, that's really the point of contention, isn't it? Well, you, there is, and we'll get into it. Um. Yeah, so the, if you haven't seen it, basically, the balls are a big W, you know, for women. Oh, yes. W for women. Yeah, um, yeah. And the dick is just <laughs> a big rounded shaft with uh, no meaning. Yeah. <laughs> Beyond, you know. We've made this a dick and balls. Being a, being a big purple dick. So, yeah, the, there's been conversation about this on Twitter, people being like, Oh, this has to have been on purpose. It's clearly malevolent. More misogyny from Scott Morrison's office. And like, guys, it's just a dick and balls. Like, it's an accidental dick and balls. We don't have to take it so seriously. It's okay to have a little joke. It's okay to have a little laugh at a dick and balls. You know, this okay, wasn't. Sorry. It's uh, not. It's not on purpose. You don't think it's on purpose? It's definitely right. not on purpose. So well, this, I, the women's I also network. Say that- because I know, go on. I just want to push back slightly on how you phrased that because it is clearly hilarious. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing on that point. Is it okay that the Women's Network logo is a big purple dick and balls? That's the bit that I'm not sure is we should like. I think we should take that at least partially seriously. Yeah. Uh, um. I don't know. I mean, it's an it's an accident. It's just a funny accident. I think <laughs> it's you know, hilarious. like it is kind of extra funny in the context of like Scott Morrison having constant PR PR issues with being completely incapable of addressing any kind of issues on gender lines without like putting his foot in it. Water Australia logo. I would have no reservations about finding this hilarious. I mean, yeah, sure. Like, okay. <laughs> but look, <laughs> whatever. It's This is it's one fine. of a, a number. The Women's Network is one of a number of, like, internal diversity networks within okay. Okay. The, 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 you know, being run by the Department of Prime Minister sure. and Cabinet. 
There's like the culturally and linguistically diverse network. There's the pride network. There's the well-being network. They were all run out of the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet, and there was a redesign of this suite of logos in 2019, right, okay. which basically made them all pill-shaped and hat right. to Sully. Totally, uh, for, I did see that comment, which does make it, you're right, you're it, right, it that does make it a little significantly bit. less bad. But... And now, because there's been such a fucking hubbub <laughs> about this big purple dick and balls women's network logo, the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet has had to put out a fucking press release about this logo, which it, I, alone is funny <laughs> enough to carry this it's hilarious story. that this week there's been a press release about a dick and balls and about mean girls? <laughs> Again, yeah, again, po- political tenor uh, oh. uh, d- discourse in this country. Uh, They're pushing the conversation forward. <laughs> and this press release made it clear that the W was a logo that had been used for the Women's Network for years previously. Okay. Good, and then good, when good. Then they like did this pill-shaped redesign for this suite of diversity networks, they just took the <laughs> per- pill, made it purple, and slapped the, the, the big W on the end of it. <laughs> Resulting accidentally in a big dick and balls. Now I see it all makes perfect sense now. Yeah, it's like, you can see how it all happened. Uh, this was all done like internally as well. It's not, not like a graphic designer did this. It was like someone, you know, just just some fucking like staffer did gotcha. this. Which again, very funny. People, did, <laughs> how did nobody see this? Well, like you know, a lot of people are still commenting on this, being like, "If you see a dick and balls, you're being immature," and it says more about you than it does about the big purple dick and balls. <laughs> but, for this story, I did feel like it was important to consult an expert on the subject, sure. so I yep. talked to my partner Holly, who is a professional okay. graphic designer. Oh, expert on graphic design. Yes, okay, exactly. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a sure dick and balls expert, no. Right, right. I mean, we've got you and I both here. That's true, yeah. Holly says that the W is clearly boobies. Now, okay. And she's, she was very clear about this. She said they're not tits. They're not breasts. Okay. They're not tartars. Okay. They're boobies. Good um, to know. Which is... As a graphic design expert to yes. know. Yeah. So that's her, that's her professional opinion, and it's which is almost funnier because they were using just the W, <laughs> right, for years before it got turned into a dick and balls. So it was just What's it was just boobies for many years, and then someone was like, and you now... know what, we can take this to another level. <laughs> it's funny because you know it's like uh, definitely um, uh, this logo is a combination of um, uh, boobies and pill logo. It comes together. Purple dick and balls. Yeah. Oh, well, there's your explanation, boob pill. Um, <laughs> pill boob? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's your explanation, pill boobs of Australia. Yeah, it's, there's a very it's, it's logical straightforward. explanation. <laughs> nothing hilarious or outrageous. Nothing funny about this dick and balls. Um, speaking of people desperately trying to suck the fun out of this whole situation. This dick and balls. Yeah. yeah is transphobes trying to make some kind of fucking point about this, which I've seen a bit on Twitter, which is like, okay, here's an example tweet. Australia, a country where men can self-identify into women-only roles, awards, and spaces, and the words woman and lesbian are being erased. It's no surprise the federal government's women's network logo is a giant penis. Like, (sighs) seriously, read another book. Get another book. 
Get new material. Not everything has to be filtered through the lens of your fucked up obsession with trans people. Just bleh, shut the fuck up. And yes, women can have dicks and balls. Fuck you. I think they should keep the logo. (laughs) Instead of cowardly removing it and putting out a press release saying Scott Morrison did not design this logo. (laughs) Which is in there, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, great. Sounds like something that someone whose prime minister had designed a logo might put in a press release. (laughs) (laughs) My press release about how I didn't design the dick and balls is raising a lot of questions already answered by my press release about how I didn't design the dick and balls. Anyway, before we get out of here, just wanted to mention a couple of edits that have been doing the rounds, which did bring me a little happiness. The first was shared into the Ospol shitposting group by Jam. This is a template featuring the Auntie Donna boys. I don't know what the Mm -hmm. original skit was. (laughs) That <laughs> they're looking at the dick and balls logo <laughs> says you approve the penis logo i put that one in the brief as a joke and then <laughs> the other guy is just looking disappointed and it says 17 layers of government approval which uh yeah that's a good one and then uh one more i wanted to shout out here which was shared into the group by robin and this is a photo of scott morrison giving a big double thumbs up and on his forehead is the women's network big purple dick and balls <laughs> Uh, logo. Logo. Yeah. He is, of course, a dickhead. And this was a post from Sarah Hansen Young's official pages. And the best element of this, I think, is the official authorization down the bottom there, which says authorized by S. Hansen Young, the Australian Greens, Adelaide, South Australia. Hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which yeah, adds a little extra Salt Bay flavor on the top of that mm-hmm. otherwise relatively mediocre meme. Well,. I reckon that's probably enough discussion so. of dicks and balls for this week. Noon, would you agree? Uh, for this week, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, good. If you want a podcast, you gotta do a lot of shit. If it's not technically podcasting, you still gotta do that shit. Thank you for listening in, please. Help us out in other ways, like by leaving us a rating or a review over on Apple Podcasts. You can also leave a rating on Spotify. We love reviews. They make us feel good in, inside, you know, spiritually. Um, you can also support us on Patreon. Give, give us a dollar a month and you get a monthly bonus episode, which... Do we know what we're doing this week? This month, I mean? No, but last month we talked about organizations that we think are cool, so that's... You know, you can listen to that. And uh, you get all the stuff at higher levels. So do that. Also, join us, Paul Shitposting. Tweet us. Whatever. Come watch me play games on Twitch. Irregular schedule at the moment. But we listened to Zach's set the other day. Uh, Tilda dropped in and was like, I came here for the Zach music. Oh, that's and very sweet. So we blasted it. Yeah. Shouts, Tilda. Shout out We to did Tilda. get a new review this week. Hell yeah. This one is from Schmemmit. Thank you very much, Schmemmit. Thank you. Long time friend of the show. Long time listener, confidant, member of our inner sanctum. Emmett says, Great Eps, five stars. These nuggets are the best. Thank you for great Eps time and time again. Present emoji. Thank you very much, Emmett. We appreciate you. And uh, yeah, please, if you like the show, go and leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts. Uh, You can rate us there as well. And you can give us a rating on Spotify. I want to say thank you to the 48 people who have already given us a rating on Spotify. Hit us up with that five stars. We would appreciate it so much. Uh, but that's probably going to do it for the business section. Would you mm-hmm. agree, Noon? I would. Now it's time for a pop game.
any news in Dante Town? Um, look, not really. I mean, I, I've sort of, I've been away. I was away over the weekend, um, so I didn't really get that much Dante time in. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I woke up this morning to vomit in the study where I'm currently sitting, and Dante. Had- oh, is in. Not you woke up to do a vomit. There. No, okay. You I woke, woke up, up and to, found. I woke vomit. up to find Dante vomit in yeah. the study, and I went downstairs to find Dante, and he was in the backyard doing two more vomits, and just oh, no. really like you know. It's so alarming how the whole body yeah does that, <laughs> and like yeah. you know the 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 voracious kind of licking licking of the lips once the vomit has kind of passed, and they're like. <laughs> okay, like, let's get that back down again. Yeah, like desperately trying to get him to drink water, and him just being like, "Huh? What? What? You want me to jump up? You want me to? You want me to lick your face? Do you? Is that what you want? God, please, for the love of God, take a sip of water." But uh, <laughs> I was reflecting. Like I came upstairs. Like this all happened after I had made my toast and a cup of tea, and my tea is getting cold. My toast is getting cold. You know, I want to have my breakfast. I need to get into writing notes. You know, I've already wasted time. So I step into the office and I'm reminded, oh yeah, okay, there's this vomit here. And I was like, you know what, fuck it. I'm going to finish my breakfast first. I'm going to deal with the vomit later. And so I sat down, uh, I ate my toast. It was delicious, refreshing cup of tea. And I was like, okay, take this stuff downstairs. I'll grab, you know, my vomit cleaning materials (laughs) and I'll take care of business. And I did. But then I was wondering to myself, like, (laughs) you know, at what point did I become a person who will just eat a meal like thirty That's centimeters what I was away from, like, go downstairs and have your breakfast. And I needed to be at the and... computer to well, be to be researching while I ate breakfast is an important part of the podcasting process for me. And uh, it's like, but I just don't bat an eye like at that kind of shit anymore. This is just what being a dog owner has done to me. I'm <laughs> just like, yeah, whatevs. I don't give a fuck. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I guess that's the pop date. One of the yeah. many joyful ways that an animal will transform your life is mm-hmm. that you just get to kind of you know you just get used Eat to near vomit it, sometimes yeah you just you just got to sit near vomit you got to sit near poo <laughs> you know yep. it's, it's just all part of the rich tapestry of uh living with a smelly demon uh, one of the other things in my experience is being woken up in the middle of the night mm. um i don't know how it is with people who live in real houses but i live in a thin metal shed um in the backyard and with bagel he you know it's our room and um often there are noises on the roof and you know birds tend to have a pretty distinctive like uh you know it's pretty you can usually tell when it's a bird not very good at walking um it's quite loud on the roof and uh you know other times there's more of a scurrying kind of sound and i'm like god i hope that's not a rat um i've definitely seen at least one rat on on my shed roof before but no doubt but there's been a lot more of them in the early mornings recently. Bagel keeps waking up in the middle of the night and being like, mm, mm, at this like, loud clawing on the roof. And I used to just kind of be like, Bagel, go back to bed. And eventually he would. But this week I've been like, I wonder what it is. I don't know what clicked this week, but I was like, fuck it. So a couple times this week I've gotten up, opened the door as quietly as possible, which is not very 
um, and gone around to see if I can spot what's on the roof. And it's been an adorable tiny little possum. Um, there was a huge chunker of a possum a little while ago. I haven't seen her again, but I figure this is one of her kids. Um, but anyway, that makes me way less mad waking up at four in the morning, bagel being all fucking edgy, and then I get to go and look at a possum for five minutes before I go to bed again. Yeah. Um, it's pretty good. That's honestly. a pretty good result. Yeah. It could be a lot worse. Yeah. Bagel. And, like, and instead of now being like, oh no, bagel's being a nuisance, and being like, oh, thanks, bagel. Possibly, you know, is a cute possum, possum viewing there. time. Yeah. I mean, it's going to change when the possum starts doing their like trademark scream night screams oh yeah. of course yeah yeah <laughs> it's upsides and downsides it's, to everything Zach. Yeah. it's you know slightly less pleasant to wake up to but nevertheless support your local possum that is the message from ospol snackpot this week thank you very much for tuning in everybody we'll catch you next week for more news and views but in the meantime make sure that you keep on snacking in the free world being happy brings health and vim Oh yeah, let us know if you want to know more about Banana Jim full of vim.